before we get into the message for today, I want you to take a look inside your bulletin at the first lesson that is our sermon text. And I just want to make a comment about the way it's divided because uh, there is really uh, a symmetry here. Um, there, there's a, a very artistic way uh, that the writer of Genesis, Moses, has arranged this narrative. Uh, notice verse 1, the introduction, there's a unity in the human race, uh, but not all unity is good. Not all unity is desirable, especially when that unity is drawing us away from the Lord further and further than that is reason for God to intervene and break up that unity. And so you'll notice the uh, mirror image of that way at the bottom, verse 9, the conclusion, you see that is about disunity. It's about division. And better, better division than collective apostasy or, or than collective falling away. Better to be divided than to be united in falling away from grace. So verse 2, we see humanity traveling. Uh, by the way, uh, Noah had been commanded by God and his sons had been commanded to fill the earth. And evidently they were not doing that. They were, they were staying together as a group. So they're traveling together. And the mirror image of that, verse 8, humanity is now scattered. Because as we've said, unity is not always a good thing. Verses 3 and 4, we see human pride being manifested. Uh, come, let us build ourselves a city and let us make a name for ourselves. And this is true uh, throughout the ancient Near East, whether it's Egypt or whether it's Mesopotamia, that area. Uh, the pharaohs, uh, the emperors, they loved to erect monuments to themselves. And they would proclaim their greatness. They wanted people to remember who they were, remember my name. And so that's why you see all these monuments, pyramids and so on. It was to proclaim themselves and their own greatness. Well, that provokes God. Uh, verses 6 and 7, we see God's intervention. And it's, it's the same language. Come, let us go down. Just mirroring what the, the men have said. And notice, God refers to himself in the plural. And we've seen this before in the Old Testament. To go back to Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image. Our image. So God is indeed one, and yet he is three distinct persons in one divine unity. He's three in one. We see hints of that here in the Old Testament, and actually throughout the Old Testament. And, and notice this, God intervenes here, and he intervenes to save us from ourselves, from our own wayward digression from God. God will eventually intervene for our good, for our sake. And then the very center of the narrative, God's inspection visit, and, and this really indicates that God does not act impulsively. God investigates, and he acts only on the basis of the facts, you see. He acts on the basis of the facts. We bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
May your word have free course this day in every heart we pray. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I went to seminary back in 1982, and I was working in the city of Lafayette prior to that time, and I, I decided, I finally made the decision to go to seminary. And uh, when you go to seminary, you, you go there to be trained to be a pastor. And that was indeed my goal for the short term. I thought for a little while I'm going to be a pastor, got to serve my time in the parish uh, before I go on for a doctoral degree, and I, I wanted a career in academia, uh, teaching at a seminary or a university of some sort. And that means you have to go on and get a doctorate. And to get a doctorate, you've got to do original research. You have to add to the body of knowledge as if there's anything new under the sun. You and I know there really isn't, but in academia we pretend there is something new. And, and, and so uh, that was my goal, to get a doctoral degree and to be recognized by my peers, really and truly, to make a name for myself. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make my mark theologically in the world. That was my long-term goal. Short-term goal, I'd be a pastor for a while. That was my long-term goal. Academia, research, publication, being invited to make speeches various places. Well, then God intervened, and Harriet became pregnant. And we were newly arrived in Texas. And all of a sudden, I got this urge to be a dad. And I finished up uh, another master's degree. I did my thesis and everything. And I, I went up to St. Louis to defend the thesis. And it was, it was pretty easy because I had done the research. I knew more about my topic than they did because they didn't do the research I did. I did it. And, and um, one of the professors said, well, you know he's going to go on and get his doctorate. And I sat there silently and I thought, no, I'm not. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a husband and a father, and I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to serve these people because God put me here. And it was just a change of mind, and I never regretted it. I'd much rather have two wonderful daughters and a beautiful wife than to have an advanced degree and to be somewhere else. God intervened. Well, and, and in a very small way, that mirrors what's happening in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, men have their plans. They want to make a name for themselves. But God intervenes. God intervenes. Now, I've read, and, and I think there's some truth to this, that when you interview preteens, I'm talking about young people 10, 11, 12 years old, and when you ask them, what do you want out of life? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? The most common answer, now this is not the only answer. You, you get a variety of answers. But the most common answer is fame. I want to be famous. And that comes about through, I think, social media, 
reality television, can you dance, and all, all this stuff. These are the role models that young people see that, that are before them. Now, it's very different in the developing world. If you ask preteens in Africa or South America, what do you want out of life? What do you want to be? The most common answer is a teacher or a doctor. Because those are the people that come to them and, and assist them, and they look up to them, you see. So it's a very different kind of aspirations. But the most common answer here in, in our culture, and I think it's, it's true in Great Britain, it's true in Australia, well, I want to be an athlete, or I want to be a pop star. I want to be an actor. And in fact, you can go online, and you can learn how to become famous. They'll tell you. What you do, number one, you create a persona for yourself, an image that you want to project to the world. You decide what, what image you want to project to the world. You go on a social media platform. You put that image up there. And then, the next step, you go to your friends. And you ask them to follow you in social media. But not only do you ask your friends to follow you in social media, you ask your friends to get their friends to follow you on social media. So you create a following for yourself. And then, the next step, you, you branch out into more traditional media, too, you see, once you get your following on social media. And it just goes on from there. But there's step by step how to become famous. Roman numeral one, point A, the desire for fame and to be noticed is, it is idolatry. It's idolatry. Doesn't matter whether you're a seminary student or whether you're an early Babylonian on the plain of Shinar, the desire for fame and to be noticed is self-adulation. It is an obsession, a preoccupation with self. That's what it is. And point B, God alone, God alone, this is why it's so wrong to make a name for yourself, because God alone has the right to make a name for himself in Scripture. And we see this throughout Scripture. Nehemiah says this about the Lord in chapter 9 of his book. He says, Lord, you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You made a name for yourself when you parted the waters before them and they walked through the sea on dry ground. You made a name for yourself. You see, and that refrain occurs throughout the Old Testament. God makes a name for himself so that all humanity will look to him in hope and not to self. Roman numeral two, God's intervention. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language. My friends, if the direction of your life is taking you further away from God and further towards self, then you better hope God intervenes. Point A, fame is always God's to give. It's always God's to give. It's not yours or mine to claim. It's not ours to claim. 
It's not our place to seek fame. It's not our place. But there are some exceptions. Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. This is right after the Babel account in Genesis 11. Right, right after it, in Genesis 12, God does this. He says to Abram, later Abraham, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will make your name great. See, I will do that for you. I will make your name great. You won't make your name great. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, meaning through your offspring, which is Christ. David had the idea when he was king that he would build a house for the Lord. David dwelt in a house of cedar. Uh, the Lord dwelt in a tent that was the tabernacle. And God interrupted him through the prophet Nathan. And, and the Lord said this to David. He said, you won't build me a house. I'll build you a house. I took you from the flock. I took you from the pasture. And I made you king over my people Israel. Now, I will make your name great. And I will build you a house that will endure. And your offspring will remain on your throne through eternity. And your kingdom will last forever. Why? Because... Christ is the offspring of David. He is king forever. His kingdom endures eternally, you see. And then St. Paul wrote of Jesus in Philippians 2. He said, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name meaning Lord. That's the Old Testament designation for Yahweh, the God of Israel. God gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see the pattern? The Lord will exalt the name of Jesus and Jesus' ancestors, David and Abraham, God will make their names great. Why? Because they're connected to Jesus. And you and I are connected to him too. We'll get to that in just a moment. So point B, from Babel to Pentecost, there's, there's a symmetry between these readings. One's kind of the, the opposite of the other. Number one, unity, like fame, is God's to give it's not ours to achieve. Unity is God's to give. It's not ours to achieve or to create. And we saw this last week. I'm just quoting from the gospel lesson from this past Sunday when Jesus in his high priestly prayer prays that we all may be one as he is one with the Father. He prays for oneness, for unity. And how does that come about? Point B. God creates unity through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the unifying message. It doesn't matter what tongue it's spoken in. It's the same message. 
Jesus died for sinners and you qualify and I qualify. That's good news for everyone. That's the unity God creates. Reversing the division of Babel. And point number three, we will share his glory. We will share Christ's fame. We will share his glory, his fame. We read last week, again from John 17, the gospel lesson from this past week, Jesus prays this. He says, I have given them, meaning his disciples, the glory that you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In Romans 8, Paul writes this, if we share in the Lord's sufferings, we will share in his glory, his fame, his good name. And then Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, he called you to this through our gospel, that you might share the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a glory that you and I could never earn, we can never achieve. It is outright given by grace to those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's our brightness, that's our glory, that's our goodness that will be evident to all on the last day. It may not be evident now, but it will be evident then. Today it's evident through the eyes of faith. And we rejoice in it. Now my friends, I don't know what your goals in life are. I don't know what you aspire to do or what you dream about. But if it is greatness that you seek, if making a name for yourself is at the top or near the top of your agenda, then God help you. God save you from yourself. Whenever you or I find ourselves drifting further away from him, may he intervene in our lives by any means possible in order to redirect us to the one who alone is great, to the one who alone makes a name for himself, to the one who alone is our salvation, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is our greatness. He is our glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.